0: Okay, welcome to another Jesus rant. This is season two, episode 33, Pastor Tom Carter, Word Without Walls ministry. The title for today's rant is conviction. And really what I want to say when we're talking about conviction is it comes from inside. It It's not, it's not A list of external rules that you have to keep. It's the life of God that will keep you. And I heard a preacher say it like this one time. He said, if the Holy Spirit can't convict you, then I don't have a chance of it, which is in large manner why I live the life the way I do. Even when it comes to my ministry, I don't try to convince people of anything. I don't try to convince people that I'm right and they're wrong. I don't try to convince people that I know everything and they don't. I mean, you know, I, I, always stand on the biblical truth that we have an unction from the Holy ghost and we know all things, but I also am quick to say that we don't understand everything that we know. And I know that, and I, I, I'm at peace with that. I'm learning and growing. I don't think I have it all figured out yet. Like, like when I write things, I don't write because I have them figured out. I write to try to figure them out. Same thing with these rants. I'm not saying, this is the only way that you can see these things. This is the only way you can think about these things, right? These are my thoughts. If you don't like them, get some of your own. But I want to talk about conviction because I think it kind of gets twisted. Like a lot of things in the scripture gets twisted. Even love, unfortunately, gets twisted. But when we think about conviction, we think of it in kind of a negative connotation. Like like a uh, a criminal gets convicted and they get a sentence, right? But that doesn't always have to be the only connotation that that word can have, as we're going to see here in a minute. Because just like like the word consequences, we usually think consequences are negative, but they're not. Every action has consequences, good consequences, bad consequences, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It depends on what the action is. So when we're talking about conviction, we're not talking about condemnation. And I think that's kind of the um, the, the leap that people make is they think I'm going to convict you, or I'm going to condemn you. And they kind of use those in the same way, kind of as the same thing. And they're not the same thing and they shouldn't be used in the same way. And what we're going to focus on today is in John chapter 16, verse eight, Jesus speaks of three different convictions. And he speaks about who is going to do that and how it's going to happen. So we're going to read my uh, my memory verse for today, John 16, 8, and then we'll back up and read a little bit more in context. But John 16, 8, and again, this is these are the red letters. This is Jesus speaking. It says, And when he comes, he being the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So right there, we see three different things that the Holy Spirit convicts. It convicts the world of sin. It convicts the world of God's judgment. And it convicts the world of the coming judgment of God's righteousness. I'm sorry. And and of the coming judgment. Sin, God's righteousness and the coming judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit convicts the world of. And it's interesting that Jesus said when he comes. The Holy Spirit came 2000 years ago as with most things in the Bible, you know, Jesus said, it is finished. These are not things that need to happen. These are things that already happened. These are not things that we need to wait for. These are things that we need to receive and accept and embrace and understand. Because when you understand these things, that's when you can experience these things. It's like I was saying earlier, we know all things. And I was talking last week about how we have all things. We've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly Christ. We have everything we need and we are who we need to be. What really needs to happen is that we need to begin to come to know who we are and what we have and where we are. Which, again, is, you know, I I drop this plug every once in a while, but that's why I wrote the Answer Trilogy. You know, I wrote a book about who we are called Identity Crisis. And I wrote a book about, you know, where we are called Six Steps to the Throne. And I wrote a book about why we're here called Epic or our eternal purpose in Christ. So these questions are very important and they need to have answers. Otherwise, we're going to continue to try to get something we think we haven't got by being somebody that we think we're not. And that's not a recipe for success at all. Like uh, misunderstanding conviction is not a recipe for success at all. When it says here that the Holy Spirit will convict the world, that's important. And in the King James Version, the word convict, I read it out of the New Living Translation, but in the King James Version, convict is the word reprove. And it's number 1651 in Strong's Greek concordance. And it means admonish, convict, convince, tell a fault, rebuke, or reprove. Some of those have more of that kind con- of negative connotation, like telling someone a fault or rebuking them. It kind of lends more towards, at least to me, the idea of a, f- a good father chastening and correcting his children. And you have to do that. That's that's being a good parent, right? Like, you can't just let anything go. So even though that might seem a little harsh, maybe, it's not, it's not bad. It's not negative. If somebody needs to be rebuked and you rebuke them and they change their ways, you know, that's a good thing. But again, this is not telling us what to do. This is telling us what the Holy Spirit was going to do when he came. And then, you know, again, 2,000 years ago, he came and he did that. So we need to understand what happened instead of trying to make it happen. But I like the idea of admonishing or convincing. He's con- he, The Holy Spirit, which I'm going to read in just a minute, is the spirit of truth that leads and guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit convinces us of what is already true. It doesn't make anything true that's not true. It, it simply shines the light on what is true and has always been true so that we can experience the truth. Because guys, the truth is the truth, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not. But when you know the truth and when you believe the truth, that's when the truth becomes true for you. That's when you can experience it. And that's important because the truth has set us free. And when we, again, when we accept it, when we know it, when we believe it, when we receive it and release it, that's when we can be transformed into what we've already been transformed into. That's when we can experience God's truth in our lives, the truth that God is love and he loves you, the ultimate truth of the universe, that the Father loveth the Son and has given all things into his hands. That's what we need to know. That's what we need to be able to uh, accept and receive and experience in our lives, because that's what life is. It's, It's a life of love. That's why Jesus said that he has come, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. That abundant life is his life of love. So let's back up a little bit and let's read some context in this chapter. John chapter 16, I want to read verses 5 through 15. And again, this is all Jesus speaking. And he says, But now I am going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away then I will send him to you. And again, that's the whole idea of after Jesus, after the passion of the Christ, after Jesus died and was buried and rose again, Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit descended to the earth and took up abode or took up dwelling or began to live in us. That's one of the major things that occurred through and because of the cross. Instead of one man filled with the Holy Spirit, named Jesus, it was shifted into all men living with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit living inside of them. And that's why I say that we are Jesus, that he is our true identity, that we are God in the flesh, love in a body. Jesus is God in our flesh, love in our body. So he was saying, as much as I can do on my own in my earthwalk ministry, in one human body as one human person, it's going to be a lot better for you when I leave and the advocate comes, when I leave and the Holy Spirit comes, when instead of just being one man doing miracles for the people that he runs into contact with, now we can all do miracles for the people that we come into contact with. And this is kind of a little bit going back a couple of weeks ago when I was talking about, you know, greater works. Like, if Jesus could do... What he could do for the people he came into contact with, that's great. That's amazing. That's wonderful. Feeding, you know, the, how many, 5,000 or whatever it was. But when he filled us all with his spirit, when he left and the Holy Spirit came, now we can all do that wherever we're at and we can all touch each other. And it's, it's, it's in some ways, it's almost a little bit bigger. And that's why Jesus said, all these works you will do in greater works than these. So it goes on to say, uh, I'll back up back to verse seven. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the Advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin, and of God's righteousness, and of the coming judgment. Ready now, he breaks down those, those he breaks down those three convictions. Verse nine says the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. This is where I get a lot of my uh, quote-unquote theology about sin from. This, and and you know, I always talk about Jesus being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Sin is unbelief. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Jesus took away the sin of the world by giving it something someone himself love to believe in. That's how the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. It doesn't say you're a dirty sinner. It says, here's what we can do about your unbelief. We can give you something to believe in. God is never about punishing. God is always about rehabilitating. God is always about restoring. He's about mercy and grace and forgiveness and love. It's a, uh, it's a redemption story. It's a restoration story. God doesn't convict in order for us to feel worse about what we've done. God convicts so that we can stop doing those things. God took away the sin of the world or the unbelief of the world, so we wouldn't have to struggle with sin anymore. So we wouldn't have to act out of that unbelief or that wrong believing anymore. He gave us what we needed with the spirit of truth that, again, we're going to see in just a minute, that leads and guides us into all truth. He made it so that we could, we don't have to fight the lie anymore. When you know the truth, you can just ignore the lie. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to deal with it. You don't have to mess around with it. You can just continue on in the truth. And the lie doesn't even matter to you because it's nonsense. It's a lie. It's not true. And you know the truth and you're standing on the truth and the lie means nothing to you. And that's the way it should be. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way God wants it to be. He doesn't want you to struggle. He doesn't want you to struggle against the lie. He doesn't. God is not on a sin hunt. God doesn't need you to find people's hidden sin and get the sin out of the camp. God took away the sin of the world. All we have to do is show people that glorious truth about who God is. God is love and he loves you. When we're looking for love in all the wrong places, to me, that's what sin is. It's it's acting on our unbelief. It's I, I don't know that God loves me, so I'm going to try to get love from wherever I can find it. And there's another verse in the Bible. I didn't look it up today, but it, it says, either way, God's love controls us. And I think that that's true because either we know God loves us, and we do everything we do in order to experience and share that love, or we don't know and believe that God loves us, and we do everything we do in order to try to get that love. And that's what I always talk about, trying to get something we think we haven't got by being somebody that we're not. We try to earn God's love, or we try to manipulate love out of people, or and that's how it gets twisted around so much. Everybody wants love. Everybody wants to be loved. Loving people and being loved is the greatest thing in the world because it's literally the whole point of the whole thing. When you love somebody and they love you back, there's nothing better in this world than that. Everybody wants that, but not everybody understands that and not everybody understands how to get that. It doesn't come from getting it. It comes from God giving it to us and us receiving it and giving it back to him by releasing it to the people that are in our lives. So again, it says, uh, the talking about the three things the Holy Spirit convicted the world of when it came 2,000 years ago. It says, the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father, and He will see me no more. So, he's He's defining what sin is. He's telling us that His righteousness is available. And then He says, judgment will come. Because the ruler of this world has already been judged. We were not judged, right? When Jesus was lifted up from the earth on the cross, he drew all men into himself, and he planted himself into all men. And then the judgment that was passed down from father to son, we were included in that, but we were not judged. Even in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, there was a system where a scapegoat was judged. The people weren't judged. So we need to get off this idea that God is judging us according to our sin and is convicting us, or again, what we think of as condemning us. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what conviction's all about. In this case, in this situation, in this scenario, in, in this spiritual way of looking at it and living with it, being convicted is God showing us the truth, convincing us of what is real and true and of what has already happened. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. The ruler of the world, not us. He goes on to verse 12 and says, There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. So again, it's this the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, leading and guiding us into all truth. That the conviction of God has already happened. He convicted us of our sin because we didn't believe in him. He showed us what it meant to truly sin and what to do about that sin. So now let's look to Hebrews, hold on, let me read, yeah, let me read John chapter 8 verse 9 first in the King James Version. This is the story of the lady who was caught in adultery, and all the people wanted to stone her, right? And then Jesus said, whoever, was out, whoever is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And then in John 8, 9 it says, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. I added that in here because I think it's important to understand, A, that we have a conscience, and B, what our conscience is for. They were convicted by their conscience. Jesus didn't say, you guys are all sinners. He said, whoever is without sin, throw the first stone, and then they all decided, oh no, wait, he's right. Jesus didn't put, you know, he he didn't He wasn't saying, none of you are worthy to throw the stone. He said, whoever is, go ahead and do it. And then their own conscience pricked them, and they were able to be convicted by that. And that's important because, again, this is not laws that you have to keep. This is a life that keeps you. Our conscience is very important in our lives. That's still small voice deep inside of us that tells us that God loves us. When we let that guide our way, when we be still and know that he is God, and when we let our conscience convict us, that's so much better than trying to play by the world's rules. So uh, for the sake of time, as always, I want to move quickly. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 9, and I want to read verses 11 through 15. It says, so Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Again, redemption. It's a redemption story. It's not a punishment story. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. This is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people, so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. Jesus did everything that needed to be done in order to cleanse or purify our consciences from sin. It's no longer an animal sacrifice that needs to happen over and over and over again. It's no longer every time you mess up, you have to apologize for it. Now, on this side of the cross, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's not what we do. That's who we are. And what we do flows from who we are. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ on my worst day. When I've made mistakes and bad decisions and done things that I know that I shouldn't have done, I'm still the righteousness of God in Christ. I still have right standing with God. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. And he's not mad at me either. I am i mean, maybe He's maybe he gets disappointed and maybe he thinks, now I'm going to have to work hard to convict or convince or reprove or chasten and correct. But again, it's not a it's not a penal thing. It's not a punishment thing. It's simply God wanting us to live our best lives. And, and by that, I don't mean doing whatever you want by that. I mean, understanding that with grace comes the ability to do whatever you actually want. Not the things you think you wanted that you look back on now and are ashamed of, but the things that you want because you know who you are, the, th- the good things in life, like like again, like mercy and justice and peace and grace, and love. Those are the things that you actually want in your life, and those are the things you actually want to do in your life. Like a long time ago, I was preaching about grace, and I thought I was going to say grace changes your appetite, because it seems like it does in some ways. It seems like once you understand God's grace, you don't want to do the things you wanted to do anymore. But really, what I found out is that what grace does is it uncovers your true appetite. The world buries us, man, and it tries so hard to bury us because the world wants us to be a certain way and do a certain thing. But underneath, deep down inside, you know who you are. You can be convicted by your conscience once you understand the Holy Spirit's role of convicting the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Once the Holy Spirit does that work, we don't have to worry about those things anymore or mess with those things anymore. So I'm going to read my last passage here, and then I'm going to close. It's Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. And again, I'm going to try to kind of move quickly through it. But it says, the heading is Life in the Spirit. And the New Living Translation says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. See, we were convicted. And because of that conviction, there's no condemnation, right? Those aren't the same thing. We need to understand that. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. You have a choice to make, right? And I'm not saying it's the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder, but I'm saying God has given us a measure of free will, right? We're not robots. God doesn't want robots. God wants people who want to worship him. God wants people who want to live a godly life. God wants people who want these things that he has given to them. And to me, that's a big part of what baptism is about. It's that it's that decision that you make, that conscious decision to put away the old life, to put away the old man in that watery grave and to rise up and walk in newness of life. That's what it's all about in our individual lives as far as making that commitment, having that conviction that I am who my Father says I am. I'm not who the world says I am. I'm not uh, condemned to this world. I'm not going to conform to this world, but I'm going to be who I really am, which is who I am in Christ, which is who Christ is in me. So in verse 5, it says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. Man, this is so important. And I like to use going to the bathroom as an example. Because whatever you focus on is what gets bigger and more powerful in your life. Whatever you magnify in your life is what will manifest in your life. If you're thinking about going to the bathroom, even in the, in the context of, I don't need to go, I'm not going to go, I can hold it. All you're doing is giving it more and more power. The more focus you give it, the more you need to go. Even though you're trying to think of, you know, not needing to go, the opposite effect takes place. So don't think about sin. Don't worry about sin. And my pastor told me a long time ago, if you're worried that you're a bad guy, you're not a bad guy, because bad guys don't worry about that sort of thing. So those who are dominated by the sinful nature, they think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And I believe we all do have the Spirit of God living in you, but I think this is more of like the acceptance of it, the, the, the conscious uh, decision of it. This is more uh, knowing what's true and allowing it to be true, and letting the truth set you free and make you free, even though it already has. So it says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, Those that do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do for if you live by its dictates you will die but if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature you will live for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God the Spirit that leads and guides us into all truth convicts us of righteousness It shows us God's righteousness, which is our righteousness. It's like I always talk about when we look into the mirror with an unveiled face, with the veil of the law taken out of the equation, when we're not trying to be somebody that we're not, when we're not trying to jump through hoops or play by the rules, when we can simply see Jesus in the mirror, which means see him inside of us, That's when we're changed into the same image that we see from glory to glory. That's when we can stop trying to be somebody we're not, and we can simply be who we are. We can let the Spirit show us who we are. We can let the Spirit of truth lead and guide us into all truth. We can let Jesus do what he wants to do in us and through us and as us, and we don't have to try to be somebody we're not. We are convicted, really, of our true identity. That's what the Holy Spirit's about. That's what it's for. The Holy Spirit tells us of Jesus. That's how it leads and guides us into all truth. And when we know Jesus, we know ourselves, because Jesus is our true self. He's our identity. I'll say it again. God in the flesh, love in a body. God in our flesh, love in our body. So going on with verse 15, it says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That's what we're convicted of. We're convicted that we are not sinners, but saints. We're convicted of our true identity, which is Father God's beloved Son in whom he is well pleased. That's the conviction that we need to have. I am who my daddy says I am. It says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. So here's the deal, guys. And I'm going to do this quickly because it's time to close. The Holy Spirit convicts us of the sin of the world, which Jesus took care of, the righteousness of God, which is who we really are, And the judgment that was coming and that came because the prince of the world was judged. We need to know who we are and we need to know who God says we are. And that's the conviction that we need to have. I'm his beloved son in whom he is well pleased no matter what. That's my conviction. That's the rock I stand on. That's how I get from the start of the day to the end of the day, even on my worst day. Knowing who you are lets you be who you are instead of trying to be somebody you're not. And that to me is what conviction is all about. So thank you as always for all the support for helping me get the, the word without walls out there. Um, yeah, uh, that's what I have for this week. Thanks guys. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Okay. Well, if you enjoyed that, I want to invite you to check out my website, JesusRant.com. You can get my daily rants on there. You can, uh, Get my books that I've written on there. They're also on Amazon. I have an author's page on Amazon. Um, I've written a lot of books. I'm pretty proud of them. You can order them. I try to keep them cheap because I don't like to pay a lot of money for books. And I don't think people should have to pay a lot of money for mine. So check that out. Um, If you want to support the podcast itself, you can find it on anchor.fm. If you just search for Jesus Rant. Um, you can support it monetarily. You can support it by, uh, liking it, sharing it, subscribing to it, and you can, you can support it, excuse me, by word of mouth, by telling people about it, uh, helping other people listen, find it and listen to it. And, uh, thank you once again, as always for spending your time to listen to it, to, uh, to help me to get the word out, which, you know, as we know by now is, is my heart is just getting this word out. Word Without Walls Ministry. Um, So just thank you for your support. I love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. Amen.